Thank you, Pastor Lotta. Well, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. For those who are fathers and those who are your grandfathers and you're assisting in raising your grandchildren or your uncles and you're assisting in raising your nieces and nephews, we, we appreciate what you do and it's, it's important. Um, so often we don't, we don't think what we do is important, but it's very, very important. I, I use this deal sometimes in talking about fathers, the non-essential parent, the NEP, or the optional parent, the OP. Uh, today, in today's society, quite often, humans or men, we, 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 we love to push things away because of sinfulness. And we don't want to say that one form of family is better than the other form of family, or we don't want to say that um, this person is not necessarily living according to what God would have us to live for. So we, we create a narrative. And in creating that narrative, unfortunately, we, we create a different God. Okay? We create a different God. It's important for us to understand that the only true God is the God of the Bible and how he reveals himself. Okay? So if we create a different God, it's, it's kind of like, and let, let me give this illustration. Okay, put, let me put this up here because I'm long-winded. I said that the first time. I have a little bit more in this service than I, I had in the last service, but I'm long-winded. So um, I have to rein myself in sometimes. What was I talking about, huh? I'm starting to lose things. Apparently, they're creating a God. Okay, so... So we create gods in our own image and our, our own likeness sometimes rather than looking at the God of the Bible. Oh, it's like this. You know, when the girl sees a guy and she looks at him and says, oh, he is just so wonderful. He just, he just look at him. He's just, he's just one. I just love him so much. And come to find out that he's nothing like you appeared him to be. Right? You create it based on what you thought you saw an image, and you created this person. That per You're misrepresenting that person for who he is. And quite often we misrepresent God for who he is. So today this sermon is going to be more of a, a broad thing. It's, gonna, it's, not a, it's not a sermon that's going to explain, okay, okay, a good father does this, 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 this. But it's going to, to, see, it's going to show how fathers fit in this place or, or in his place, uh, their places. Okay? Now... Francis Schaeffer once stated that Christians often approach social issues and culture wrongfully in bits and pieces. However, the major problem of Christianity and culture is a worldview issue. It's a worldview issue. If people get the worldview issue right, quite often many other things will fall in place. If the foundation is shaky then so is the structure that's built upon the foundation. Jesus used that illustration in Matthew chapter 7. So misunderstandings abound when people talk about single issues without dealing with worldviews. Now understand something, quite often we fight against abortion, and rightly so, rightly so. And, and if anybody's ever aborted a child in this room, understand we're not trying to throw stones or anything like that. Listen, God forgives. We've all done something. And not only that, there, there are no perfect families, right? <coughs> Excuse me. No perfect families. 
period. So realize that. But so in talking about things like abortion or talking about things like homosexuality or talking about things like immorality, we, we throw stones. But the major issue is a worldview issue. Once we get things right in the worldview, everything falls into place. Now, there are no gay Christians. That doesn't exist. But there are Christians who struggle with same-sex attraction. There are no immoral Christians. But there are Christians who struggle with items or areas of sexuality. So realize this. If you put anything above your Christianity and you redefine words, biblical words, or words that's been around a long time just to make things fit, that's wrong. You're creating a God in your own image, and, and that's not what we're doing here. So it's important to understand it's a worldview issue. So, like take, for instance, in marriage counseling. Quite often I'll you know, counsel people when they have marriage problems, and they want me to fix the problem. I say, fix the problem. Well, I said, the problem is this. The foundation of the problem is this. You need to get it right with God. And they don't want to hear that. They want you to just make their life wonderful. You know, I once heard a pastor talking about a, um, a, um, a person left his church, so he called him and said, why did you leave? He said, well, you know, nobody ever calls and asks why we leave. He said, well, because, you know, you were, you were messing in my life. Well, you know, what, what is a pastor supposed to do? If the word of God doesn't mess with your life, something's wrong, right? So it's important to realize that God wants us to conform to a biblical worldview. Many Christians have exchanged living according to a biblical worldview for a predominantly humanistic and secular one. No longer do Christians want to live according to what's in the Bible. So in speaking about family and fatherhood, if a person does not accept God's creative plan, especially as it deals with gender and family issues, he or she will never accept specific teachings about the matter. So if we want to exchange the truth of God for a lie, you're never going to get it right. And you know what? You're worshiping a figment of your imagination. You're not worshiping the true God of the Bible. When you stand before God, you're not, you're not going to be asked, well, well, how did you feel about that? Okay? God will stand there as he is in all of his glory, and no person will be allowed to say anything. No person will be allowed to say anything. All right. So in explaining these things, many Christians have exchanged this for, for, for unbiblical worldview. It's interesting, when Paul talked about repentance, and, and I'm going to talk about this just for a second. Please bear with me. I'm going somewhere. But when Paul talked about um, uh, repentance and faith, um, he, he had a couple of places in Acts where he kind of put what he talked about in a really short pill form, a microcosm of, of the gospel. Now, we understand we're saved by grace. What does that mean? Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins, and you can add nothing to it. You can add nothing to what Jesus did. You can't add works. You can't add anything. I was, I was having a discussion with a, a Jewish man in Half Price Books the other day, and uh, my, 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 my daughter, she says that I'm actually a Hispanic Jew. 
She said, she, said, she calls me Horatio Snyder because I, 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 like, I, like, I like Mexican food and I'm always talking about the Old Testament. So, you know, so she, she said, my dad, Horatio Snyder. But anyway, so, so she said, Dad, you were so happy when you were talking to him. So we're having this discussion and he was talking about being saved by works. And I said, I said, listen, I said, if God didn't forgive you for your sins, what could you do? I mean, you could work all day long. You couldn't do anything that you want to do if God wasn't offering forgiveness, how could you stand before him? So there's no such thing as being saved by works. However, true faith is a faith that works. We follow a, a Greek philosophical understanding of Christianity. And all of that happened when the church broke because the early church, all these people who wrote the Bible, guess what? They were all Jews, except for possibly Luke. And they had a Jewish mindset. Even though they spoke Aramaic and, and the New Testament was written in Greek, they still thought like Hebrews. So you have to realize that sometimes they had to correct things in society, like James in James chapter 2. James was the Lord's brother. He grew up in a household with Jesus. And James said, Hey, if you say that you have faith and don't have works, can that kind of faith save you? He said, if a man says he has faith and doesn't have works, can that type of faith save you? You believe that there's one God, you do well. The demons believe and tremble. But faith without the corresponding actions, without works, is dead faith. Say, so you show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith by what I do. True faith works. True faith and that's our response to God's grace, is a faith that changes things. It's like standing on one foundation, and then you decide to get saved, and you're standing on another foundation. We're standing on the foundation of our own self-righteousness, and now we stepped on the foundation of his righteousness. And that's what salvation is. But it's a turning from and a turning to. So in Acts chapter 20, verse 21, he said, testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You repent from something and you go towards something. And then you put faith in God. And then he said in Acts chapter 26, verse 19 and 20, therefore, O King Agrippa, I, did, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, and then in Jerusalem and throughout the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God. Repent means a turning from, turning to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. If you truly repented, the deeds will follow. That's why Paul has lists in the Bible. A lot of people don't understand that. We're saved by grace. You can, I mean, there's people running around at my, my son's college and he goes to a Christian college stating that, oh, I'm saved. It doesn't matter what I do. That is from the devil, from hell itself. Yeah. Let me tell you something. There is nowhere in the Bible that says you can claim you're a Christian and live like hell. Period. Nowhere. So I can't give somebody assurance of salvation when they're shacking up. Okay? If you struggle, hey, that's fine. But if you choose to walk into a situation and dwell there, there's a difference. That's why the Bible, he, Paul has several lists. One in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and he lists all these things. Such were some of you. Now, you're not like that anymore. Such were some of you. But he says in several places, hey, hey, people who practice these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't let anybody deceive you. 
if you practice these things that are listed, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, I need to lay that foundation because it's important for you to understand the family and fatherhood fits into that broad thing. We cannot follow after the way the world says that we do family and fatherhood and expect to get a godly response. Okay? So, I use a bunch of, okay, let me just throw this in here. Trust is a better word for faith than faith because our understanding is according to a Greek understanding. Trust is a better word than faith in our society. And we use the Greek word pistis or pistuo. The pistuo is I believe. Pistis is faith. The Hebrew word is amuna, which he, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, it says the just, the righteous one shall live by his faith. You can translate that faithfulness. You can translate it trust. But it's not just that head knowledge. It's what you do. It's what you do. God is concerned about what you do. Micah 6, verse 8, what does the Lord God to require of you? Act justly. Love, mercy, chesed is the Hebrew word there. It actually means covenant steadfast, um, covenant steadfast love. That's what chesed means. It's, it's, and then he says, and to walk humbly before your God. God expects us to do things. The Old Testament prophets, all of them, they did. The, listen, the same thing that was said in the Old Testament is the same thing that said in the New Testament. God wants your heart. He wants you. He doesn't want your outward obedience. So we can't look at Christianity in bits and pieces and compartmentalize our Christianity where we act like a Christian here, we dress like a Christian here, we do things here, but over here we act totally different, we speak totally different, we dress totally different. If you are modest, you're going to be modest at church, you're going to be modest at the store, you're going to be modest everywhere you go, right? If you're going to dress with modesty, if you're going to speak with words of grace, I've heard more preachers use curse words this week than I've ever heard in my life. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, let not, no, no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is the use of edifying that it may minister grace to the hearers, but they can use all types of foul language coming out of their mouth, say they're Christians, and you wonder why they act the way they do. And you wonder why people, wonder why people follow them and act the way they do. My daughter can say what I say. She can watch what I watch. Be an example to your children. They'll see no duplicity in that. Okay, let me go on. Once again, I'm a bipolar preacher. I'll crack jokes one minute. I'll be crying the next minute, you know, and then I'll turn into Jeremiah the next minute. Not that Jeremiah. Good man, Jeremiah, right? All right, let's go on. But we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna go through this, and I'll, I'll explain. Okay, let's go on, let's go. So faith is a, turning, is a turning from repentance and a turning to. So you have to turn from and turn to something. You have to have that foundation there. This generation is engendering an unhealthy, unbiblical worldview about marriage, family, sexuality, gender, and society. To a great extent, the church has accepted it and accommodated it to the world's standards rather than preach the truth in line with God's creative plan. God gave sex to humans. Sex basically has three purposes. It is given for covenant. We'll talk a little bit more about the one flesh covenant later on, but it signifies one flesh. Covenant, procreation, and pleasure. 
that's given, but it's only supposed to be equated with a monogamous, one man, one woman relationship of marriage. That's it. But today, you know, we equate with well, the Christians can't even date without sex. Yes. Christians, people who call themselves Christians are dating or having sex. That's not God's will. I, I understand people don't like hearing this. But it's true. We have to commit our lives to him, the worldview, everything. Now, let's get to the father, okay? James Dobson in his book, Bringing Up Boys, reported how executives at a greeting card company set up a table in a federal prison and gave free greeting cards to any inmate who wanted to send a card to his mother on Mother's Day. And I've seen kids out there in crime, and they love their mothers now. They disrespect them, call them names and stuff like that. You better not call them a name, right? They love their mothers. But um, so these inmates who wanted to get a card, they gave, the response was so overwhelming that the company had to send for more cards to meet the demand. Due to the great, great success of the event, they decided to do the same for Father's Day. Guess how many people showed up to send a card to their dad? Not one. That should show you how important fathers are to young men growing up. Because about 80% of the prisons are male. And there's a reason for that. Testosterone. Testosterone. That same testosterone God gave us to be men is the same one that can cause us to go out and commit crime and to be violent and to do all types of things. Now, once again, fathers today are, are, are portrayed as the disposable parent. The Fatherhood Initiative reports that there is an absence of father crisis in America. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.7 million children, more than one in four, live without a father in the home. Consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all social ills facing America today. That was a quote from the Father Absence and Involvement Statistics Fatherhood Initiative. That was a quote. There's a father factor in just about every, and I have some things listed up here, children raised in homes with absent or uninvolved fathers have a four times greater risk of poverty, seven times greater risk of teenage pregnancy, two times greater risk of infant mortality, two times greater risk of dropping out of school, two times more likely to suffer obesity, more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to suffer, suffer abuse or neglect, more likely to use drugs and alcohol, more likely to commit crime, more likely to go to prison. And it's been said that all future relationships of girls, of, uh, girls with the opposite sex is grounded in the relationship she or she, he or she, that she has with her father. It's important to realize that. Fathers are important. But Satan is trying to push us out and make us think that fathers are not important. They're very important. God gave them to be the head of the family. Doesn't mean that women are less. We'll talk about that later on. But God made men and women complementary to one another. And if we don't know what God, and embrace how God created us, we're going to lose it. Listen, when my children want strength, when they want protection, they run to me. When they skin their knee, they run to my wife. Because she has, I mean, I have compassion, but not like her. It's different. You know, I'm like, get up and shake yourself off and go on with it, you know. But, but it's, like, it's like, the mother's like, oh, you poor baby. I mean, they need that, and it's important to have that. 
men, men don't nurture children like women do. You know, I love my children, and but you know what? I, I tried to breastfeed them, and you know, spitting out the hair. <laughs> I mean, I'm just telling you, I'm, just, I'm sorry. That, that's, that's goofy, Joe. Just kind of ignore that. But I'm just saying that, that um, we, 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 don't, we can't do it. There, there's, God has gifted them for that. And women love children. You, when, when women see babies, they're like, oh. Men are like, yeah, look at that. Cute kid. All right? So fathers are not disposable parents. They are highly necessary to the development of children and all that God has designed them to be. Children, whether male or female, need the temperaments and contributions of both a father and a mother to develop properly. Now, many of you were raised in a fatherless home or maybe a motherless home or maybe with neither. And sometimes we turn out okay, but you're missing something. You could have been better under, a certain, uh, under God's way. I was raised without a father in a home. And listen, I'm missing things. I've, I've talked to men who's 70 years old, and they talk about their dads, and tears come to their eyes. You know? You know, when my son talks about me, he, that's how he talks about me. I didn't have that. I didn't have that. But it's so important. That is important. And, and you know what? A man and his daughter, there's, there's no more beautiful thing. I love my daughter. Oh, I love my daughter. I'm not going to talk about violence, but. <laughs> I love my daughter. There's a couple of people buried in the backyard. No, I'm joking. <clears throat> All righty. But fathers are not disposable parents, highly necessary. So we'll briefly discuss three issues here. We're not going to talk about how to be a good father today, but we're going to talk about God's plan in creation, you know, what we, you know, are to be. And then we're going to talk about God's plan in commission, what we are to do. And then we're going to talk about God's plan in covenant, how we should live. My main text will be the first three chapters of Genesis. So first of all, God's plan and creation, what we are to be. This is the foundation. When God created the world, he created the world in a very purposeful manner. Remember that. He created a plan. It was a design. It became a cosmos. It became an orderly thing. When God created the world in six days, it was very, very orderly. Matter of fact, at the end of it, he says, God saw everything he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. God created an orderly creation. He created it in six days. He said six days should people, should a man work, and the seventh day he should rest. He gave us Shabbat, or a day of rest. Okay? So realize this. God created work. Work is important. I preach sermons on the theology of work. People need work. I mean, a lot of times we identify ourselves by what we do. And that's why when, 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 when people aren't working, they, they, they lose that. There's something missing, especially for a man. Men need to work. Okay. But that day of rest is important too. Now, God, didn't, this, God, God gave Israel a command to keep the Sabbath. He didn't give this, even though he blessed the Sabbath. You know, and that's the day that we should rest and work. He gave that to us. Jesus said God made the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath, right? 
All right. So in six days, humans were created as Yahweh's special creation, set apart and given special rule over the earth and other inhabitants. It says Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, and thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts in them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work he has done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because God rested from all his work done in creation. Now, it doesn't mean inactivity because God's never inactive. As Jesus said, my father worked and I'm working. He never stops working. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. God is God. All right? But he gave that for us. Now, on day three, God created vegetation or plant life. And he said in Genesis 1, verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation, plant yielding seeds, fruit, trees bearing fruit, in which their seed, each according to his kind, on the earth. So notice something that's going to repeat here, each according to his kind. On day five, God created the living creatures, the sea creatures and flying creatures according to their kinds in Genesis 1 to verse 21. And every winged uh, bird according to its kind. On day 6, God created the land animals, livestock, creeping things, and beasts of the earth. Genesis 1 verse 25, he created them according to their kinds over and over again, and God saw that it was good. But on day 6, when God made humans, God created them in his image. Notice how every other living thing is according to its kind. Now, understand something very quickly. Kind is not species. In, in, the, in the, the, the Tree of Life Bible, which is a kind of a Jewish-related Bible, they use species instead, but it's not species. New species are being formed, but kinds are set. There's like a dog kind, a monkey kind, a human kind, so to speak. And, you know, you can date different, I mean, you date, you can mate different types of dogs, but you can't mate a, mate a dog and a cat, all right? You can't do that. And according to the fossil record, when you have billions of fossils in the world, guess what? There are no transitional fossils, okay? Now, I'm not going to go on on that, but just understand something. Macroevolution is, we can talk about that later on, but not now. But I'm just saying there's no scientific proof for it at all. Microevolution, variation within species, yes, there are. Different types of people, different types of dogs, all that, but that can all be traced. Okay, let's go on. I'm getting into the weeds, the minutiae. I need to move on. Pastor, throw something at me, please. I'll start doing this. So when he created humans in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, he says, and God says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, of the birds of the air, uh, excuse me, the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So God made man, Adam, that's the Hebrew word, in his own image. And he created them male, ish, and female, isha. Now, God did this purposely. Once again, God is a purposeful God. So when we start blurring the lines between Esh and Esha, we have issues. Okay? We do. We have issues. And that's some of the things that's happening today. We start redefining certain things. 
We redefine the definition of marriage. We redefine the definition of maleness. We redefine the definition of femaleness and say that you can choose your gender. Okay, we're going to explain a little bit about that. Not much, because I don't have a whole lot of time to do that. But image and um, likeness, image is uh, teslim and likeness is demut. Now, they basically are used the same here in the Hebrew. They're basically used the same, but... Uh, technically, uh, Tesla means to carve or to cut. It's the image, like, you know, you set up a Tesla, you set up an image, and then root is to be like. But they're used, in, in Hebrew, uh, they have Hebrew parallelism, par parallelism, like you'll read Proverbs, and they'll say something that's very close twice, that's somewhat different, that's Hebrew parallelism, to kind of, that's just a part of the poetic way of, of, the, of they do it in, in, in Hebrew. But anyway, let's go on. So to be made in the image of God, Without going too far in the weeds, because I don't have a whole, a whole you, know, you don't have all day to sit there and listen. You don't want to listen to me all day. But it means to be more like God than any other creature and to represent God in relation to earthly things. Humans were to be more like God than any other creature. And we are to represent God on earth. Okay? Now, that's Wayne Gruton's definition. So humans were the only creatures made in the image of God. And we are Yahweh's stewards on earth. The purpose of having been made in God's image was to rule over the created realm. The only caveat was that we are to rule under God's authority. Now, this is the issue that we have here, that people are creating culture not based on God's authority and doing things outside of God's will. That's rebellion. And that's where the world is today. And unfortunately, many of us in the church are following yeah. their rebellion. Yeah. When we start following what everybody else is doing in the world and wanting to be like them, we have issues. The early church didn't do that. They separated themselves from certain things, but they still got out there. We're not, we're not talking about being Amish and just totally separating yourself and, you know, no. They went out and they witnessed the people and they worked in those areas. But even to work in those areas, sometimes they had to, they had trade guilds that were devoted to certain gods. So they couldn't go to many of these things. They couldn't uh, uh, engage in many of the things that, that, that everybody else did. But today we think we, we can do everything. You know, these are things that makes God sick. They do. Okay. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, the book of generations, Adam, when God created man, he made him in the image and likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and blessed them and named them man when they were created. And Adam had lived 130 years. He fathered a son, made his own image after his likeness and named him Seth. Now, image and likeness are very important. God is spirit. He's not physical. He doesn't have a head or hands. All that stuff that's used in the Bible of God is kind of like anthropomorphic. It's there. It's human-like. It's, it's just something that so we can understand. The Bible's baby talk to humans. But whatever God can do, so it, so it, so it talks about God coming down and it, when he's already there and it talks about God, you know, asking questions. Understand something. Remember, just the Bible is doing that, but we don't have time for that. Okay. So... What was I talking about, huh? <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. <clears throat> All right, Genesis 5, okay. So this is kind of how it reads in the Hebrew. When God created Adam, he made him in the likeness of God. 
Ish and Isha, he created them and blessed them and named them Adam. So the term Adam is used for all. You can, you can interpret that human. You can interpret it human. When God, so all humans are made in the image of God. Male and female, they're just complementary to one another. One's not better than the other. A lot of the feminists, they want to, they you know, if, if you say that women are emotion, more emotional than men in many cases, now understand there's always exceptions to the rule. But when you talk about women are more emotional than men, they say, oh, you're, you're, you're being gender biased. No, that's not necessarily true. You know, women, their brains are connected. They have more connections than men. You know, we think with one side of our brain, and they have more connections. And, and, and there's so many, there's, there's like hundreds of things in the human brain that distinguishes gender. You know, mainly testosterone and estrogen. Mainly. But estrogen in women, testosterone in men. And men have estrogen, women have testosterone, but men have 10 to 20 times the amount of testosterone than women. So if you say somebody is trans, a transgender female, he's really a guy, and he gets to run against women in high school track events or wrestle against women, or, or you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be the same because this person has a physical advantage. It's like using steroids. You have much physical exam, uh, exam uh, so get this. You can take the fastest female in the world, the fastest female in the world, 100 yard dash, 200 meters, right? Well, excuse me, I'm, I'm my age. 100 meters and 200 meters. I used to run a 100 yard dash way back in the day, you know, before most of you were born. But anyway, so, but you take the fastest woman in the world and put her against the slowest world-class male sprinter and she couldn't beat him. The times are totally off the chart. Why? Because men are made differently than women. We have a different body mass, different strength. It's a difference. It's not that it's better and worse. How many of you think an elephant is better than you are? He's much stronger. I, I just dare you to get in his way in my last Louisiana con You know, just get in the elephant's way and see what happens. No, he will stomp and trample you. But that doesn't mean he's better because you're smarter. We rule over the beast, right? Okay. Gender. It's important. All right, secondly, so male and female contributions are God-ordained norm for the foundation and maintenance of the family structure. Secondly, God's plan and creation commission. God's creation mandate. Now, we have the great commission, you know, make disciples of all nations, right? Okay, that's the controlling verb in the Great Commission. Baptizing, going, teaching are participles, right? So that's the Great Commission. Well, the Great Commission of creation is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. The Bible says, he said basically three things in here. God blessed them and said to them, and every time God blesses in the Bible in this first part, even with animals, when he said, be fruitful and multiply, that was a blessing. Why? Because sex was given for covenant for procreation and for pleasure. Not, not so much covenant in animals, but covenant in humans, because we can actually have covenant with God. So it's given that. And when it's used outside of that, it becomes ugly. I remember Adrian Rogers said something. He said, you know, it's kind of like dirt. If you take dirt and it's in your yard and it's planted, it can be really, really beautiful. But if you take that same pile of dirt and you take it and you throw it in your living room, it becomes nasty. Why? Because it's out of place, right? Same thing. That's how sex is. When sex is used outside of God's original command, 
It brings heartache. It brings hurt. People are hooking up, just doing all types of things. Christians, you know, learn. If you're going to date, date so that you can mate, right, so you can marry. And if you're going to do that, date openly. Don't go somewhere by yourself because you know what? I like you, you like me, things happen, right? That's what happens. Don't put yourself in that situation. There are ways that you can handle problems, right? If you have a big old hole in the floor, you can tell everybody, hey, hey, there's a hole in the floor. Somebody's going to step in that hole. Or you can put barriers around it. And you can say, you know, hey, but somebody's going to miss those barriers. The best way to make sure nobody steps in the hole is to cover it up. Don't put yourself in a situation where you can fall because you know what? Don't think that you're above it. No temptation has overtaken you than which is common to man. So let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Don't do it like Joseph did. Run from the situation. God didn't tell you to, 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 um, to, to resist sex. He said, run from it. <laughs> Get away from it. You know? Flee. Flee temptation. That's it. He didn't, he didn't tell you to just sit there and, well, I'm a strong person. I'm going to go to a strip club and just watch women. No, no, that's ridiculous. You're crazy, you know? Okay, let's go on. Commission. <laughs> Genesis 1, verse 28. God blessed him and said, Free, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. That's the first part of the great commission of creation. Secondly, he said, oh, excuse me, secondly is subdue it. That's the second one. And then it says, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. That's the third part. So the first part is be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That was given with a blessing. Secondly, he says, subdue the earth. The Hebrew kabash is a strong word. It means to enslave. It means to enslave. To kabash means to enslave. So God said to enslave the earth and basically harvest its resources to make structures of culture. So that's what we should do. And thirdly, he says, have dominion over the creatures. That's radah, is the Hebrew word there. It's, it's, a, it's a kingly word. It's a word where, you know, rule, a dominating rule of a king. So God tells us the rule. That's why, listen, I don't, when we were kids, when we were football camp, we'd take these little frogs and throw them up against the wall. You know, I don't do that now. I don't let my kids do it. Yeah, yeah. Boys will be boys, dear. Oh, I'm talking, uh, there's my wife, Laura, right there. Isn't that what it says in the deal? Laura, it's, her name is Carla. But it's, so just, <laughs> they got it mixed up in the deal. I just thought I'd say that. I'm sorry. But anyway, so, um, what was I talking about, huh? Throwing frogs. Listen, I don't let my kids do that. Why? Because we are to, ask my wife, we, we live in a place with snakes. And uh, if it's like a garden snake, I will try to carry it out to the field. I, I, I don't want to kill it. Now, if it's in my house, I kill it, okay? One guy in the garage, I killed it because I had to get my wife. Oh, we had a rattlesnake in front of our yard. Yeah, guess what? I killed it. I was going running one day, and uh, I saw it. I said, my wife's going to come back soon. I said, it's a garden snake. I'll bring it outside. And I started going, Tss. I said, oh, got to kill it. So, but I'm just saying, I, I usually treat animals with respect because God told us to rule over them, right? To have dominion, radar. We ought to have dominion over them, okay? We'll, we'll talk about this just a little bit more. So hence the natural, natural world is the world as God created it, but to responsibly harvest the earth resources to subdue and exercise dominion is, is to create structures for living that's based on God's authority, but when we start creating these cultural structures for living, then we'll have rap music is not necessarily bad, but much of the words that are used there are bad. 
When you're using, you're talking about filth and talking about, you know, gang banging and talking about sex and talking about certain parts of people's bodies and things that you do, that's not something any Christian should listen to. Certain things we shouldn't watch on television, people, or movies. Now, I'm not one of those that say you can never go to movies if you're a Christian. No, but you need to be responsible with it, okay? If Jesus was sitting right there beside you, would you take him to see that movie? Right? And he is. He's inside of you if you're Christian. That's what Paul talked about. He talked about sexual morality. He says he who joins himself to a prostitute basically joins himself to Christ. Should we do that? Should we join a prostitute to Christ? No. No. But basically we're joining Christ to other things that we shouldn't. Okay. Psalm chapter 3, verse uh, 8, verse 3 through uh, 8, is Psalms 8 is basically a companion to the creation mandate. And it's awesome. This is an awesome praise song. It says, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man, that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, okay? Now, the, the Septuagint version, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, and basically that's the scriptures that... Paul quotes and Jesus quotes because it was a scripture that was used in the synagogue back there in those days. Probably 80% of the time. Every once in a while, they'll, they'll break into the Hebrew when it doesn't quite, but they'll use the Septuagint most of the times it is. So the Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, when he quoted this, he said a little lower than the angels. But that Hebrew word there is Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, right? So that's what he says. Bereshit Elohim. Oh, uh, let me see. Barah, Bereshit, one of those. <laughs> but in, in the beginning, Barah, Elohim, uh, Hot, Eretz, Hot, uh, Et, Hot, um, Hashemayim, the earth and the heavens. I just kind of back it. I'm just pulling it out of my brain. But I'm just saying that that's the whole thing. God created the heavens and the earth. It was Elohim. So when God says that you're a little lower than the angels, basically, the Hebrew says Elohim. God created you with a special dignity. Okay, and we shouldn't lower ourselves to be like animals. I've got people, you know, on, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but on the east side of Fort Worth, you've got groups called the, 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 the east side gorillas. Now, if any of you call a black person a gorilla, but, they could, but we, we can call ourselves that, and it's okay. Or use the N-word. We're demeaning ourselves. Now, that's not the only people that demean themselves. Other people, we demean ourselves by doing all types of things that's below the dignity of somebody who is a son of Adam. Right? The way God created us. But I'm just using that as an example. God has so much better for you. All right? So God says he created us a little lower than Elohim. He crowned us with glory and honor, and he's given us dominion over the works of our hands. And put all things under their feet. Now that's a kingly thing. That's the radar, having dominion. The creation man that made must be under the overall auspices of God. All right. Okay, God's plan and covenant. How we are to live. The special creation of humans and the foundation of society. Genesis 2, in Genesis 2, the Bible goes into greater detail about the creation of Adam and the formation of male and female union and the foundations of the family. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 24, I know this is a long passage, but bear with me. Every time you see the capitalized Lord, it is the tetragrammaton, yod, het, bahet. 
in Hebrew, which is, we translate Yahweh, right? Because the, the, the Hebrew was not written with vowels and, and all that stuff that was added later on by the Masoretes. Okay, so Yahweh God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a Ezer, a helper fit for him. Now that term Ezer actually is used sometimes of God being a helper to man. So it certainly does not mean that women are less than men. Okay? And the term fit is kenikdal, which means according to or opposite him. So it's important that you, uh, women are made as a helper according to or opposite him. She's not exactly the same as him. But she is according to, she is to be the partner, the life partner, the foundation on which life is made. That's why the, 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 the Hebrew rabbis believe that you had to be married by 20 if you're a male. That's just a part of who you are. Now, some people didn't. Jesus didn't marry. John the Baptist didn't marry. Paul, we don't, we don't know. He was a rabbi. He may have gotten married and either died or she died or, or she left him when he became, I don't know. But the thing is, most Hebrews, they were married by 20. Mary, she was only probably about 13, 14, 15 years old at that time, and he was probably 18 or 19, Joseph. And, but but they're, they're, that's, that's how they did it in that culture, okay? So they understood this, that the foundation of society is the family made of male and female. So God made a helper fit for them. Now, verse 19, now out of the ground... Yahweh God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, brought them to Adam, the man, to see what he would call them. He named all the animals. And the man gave name to the livestock, the birds, the heavens, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. Now think about that for a second. He named all the animals, all the animals passed before him, and there was not a helper fit for him. There was not somebody who actually equated with his dignity, with his worth, to be a lifelong companion. Right? So what did he do? God could have created anything he wanted to be the companion of man. He could have created another man. He could have gotten one of these animals. He could have created something totally new. But he created another Adam, another human, that was like man but different to be a companion, a compliment to him. What verse was that, huh? You're not paying attention, are you? Shame on you. Okay. Verse 22, verse 21. So Yahweh God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed it up in his place with flesh. And the rib that Yahweh God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And I'm glad he was done with counting the animals at that time. woo -hoo! Right? Then the man said, this is at last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. She shall be called Isha because he was taken out of Ish. Therefore, a man should leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and the wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So... Verse 23 is Adam talking about his wife. Verse 24 talks about subsequent unions. Okay? Since he said, this is not bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she came out of man. Then he said, therefore, a man should leave. Now, Adam didn't have a father and mother, right? 
But he said, therefore, Adam should leave his father and his mother. A man should leave his father and his mother. Now, today, a lot of kids think, well, I'm 18. I'm an adult. You can't tell me anything. Well, that's not the way it was in biblical times. Okay? Humans stayed within their family units until they made new family units. That's, that was the way it was supposed to be. They remained in those family units until they made new family units. So a man left his father and mother. He, he, he was yoked together with his wife. That's what Jesus Christ uses in Matthew chapter 19. Whatever God is yoked together, it's like two animals is walking together with a yoke on a plow, right? Whatever, whatever God is yoked together, let not man separate. So divorce is a type of amputation. Now, I, there are times that I counsel people to get divorces. If a guy is out, he's messing around on his wife, and there's no repentance, I say start the divorce process, you know? But if there's repentance, I'll try to work on them getting together, staying together. I really will, because that's important. God's a forgiving God, and there's pain, and there's hurt there, but the relationship can be so much better because God wants transparency in the relationship. He wants a a one flesh relationship. And the truth of the matter be, probably before that, there was no one flesh relationship because he was somewhere like this in the middle of the night, you know, hiding, hiding. When we hide things from our spouses, that's when trouble comes. It should be a one flesh relationship. It shouldn't be like that. Okay, we're not talking about marriage, right? Just a little bit because it's important in the, the total understanding of these things. All right. So, the subsequent unions, therefore, a man should leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They should become one flesh. The one flesh union is the, is the important thing. Now, that is symbolized in the, what we call consummation of marriage, right? Sex. Consummation of marriage. Sex is given for covenant because we have a covenant with one another and with God when we get married. When people get married today, they get married because of love. That's why as soon as they feel that they fall out of love, or in other words, when you feel that, you know, you're not meeting my needs like I want them anymore or something like we leave. Back then, marriage was a covenant between families. And they stayed in there. They didn't have a lot of stuff that we have these days. Now, understand, I know that there are times that people need to get divorced today. Trust me, it is. But divorce is a type of amputation. So when do we amputate something? When it starts to become poisonous to the body. If something's poisonous to the body, we have to amputate it. And that's the only time that I will encourage people to get divorced. All right? And a person who's out doing stuff that they're not supposed to do and there's no repentance, that's an amputation. Okay? Because you've already broke the one flesh relationship. Paul talks about that. Okay. Well, let's go on. So one flesh. Marriage is given for covenant, for procreation, so that children can be born in a loving, caring relationship, family, now, I'm not knocking anybody else. I'm not. But in families where the biological mother and father one are, is absent, there's more abuse, there's more everything, because it, it's, it's very difficult to find somebody who loves your child the way you do. So this is the important thing I tell people. If you're in a relationship and there's baggage from another relationship before, it's important that you put aside the hurt and the pain and you, you understand that this child, like take for instance, you move in a house and you have children that's not yours and you have to raise them, they're never going to love you if you're a man like they love their father. There's a connection with that father already, okay? So you, you, you're going to lose if you try to keep them away from that father. Now, sometimes they understand that their father's toxic and they will, they will gravitate towards you. 
but don't do that. It's important that that person has a relationship with his or her biological parent, okay? That's important as a father to be that man that is more concerned about the child than you are about your pride, okay? Don't have time to talk about that in depth today, but anyway. Okay, so covenant, procreation, and pleasure. You know, God didn't give sex just to have it, you know, when we're about to make babies, like some people say. It's okay. It's, it's given to us. It's just like when we take communion, we remember the covenant. Every time a man and a woman who are married to one another, engage in sexual activity, they're remembering the covenant. Is he saying this from the pulpit? Yes, I am. Because it's important to understand that. You remember the covenant. Okay? That's why sex, every time people have it outside of marriage, we demean ourselves. Many children are born who are born outside of that loving relationship, and we're destroying society. Whole, I'm talking about cultures, are destroyed because of a misunderstanding of sex. Okay. I hit it, now I'm going to quit it and move on, okay? All right, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Okay, let's move on from there because I need to get finished here. Now, we know that people sinned and they, they entered into a sinful relationship and it just messed up everything that God said. Um, and when humans reject God's authority to establish their own, and that's what culture is today, we're, we're not making culture, we're not doing kavesh, we're not doing it under God's authority, but we're doing it under our own. We're changing definitions of words. We're saying that this is just as good as this because we don't hurt, want, want to hurt anybody's feelings, you know? And um, no, we need to hold up this. We need to hold up the book and say, this is how we should live, okay? God loves you. As the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 13, that all of God's commands were given for your good. Guess what? However we act, it doesn't affect God for being God. It affects him because he loves us, but it doesn't affect him. He's going to still be God. The all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent creator of the universe. He's still going to be God. But us... We're destroying ourselves and we don't even know it. We're destroying ourselves. So, oh, the last part of that verse that we came back from last time, don't have to bring it back up, is that there was no shame. They were naked and they're not ashamed. When did shame enter in? When sin entered into the picture? I mean, as long as you're in one flesh, there should be no shame, right? But some shame is good, all right? Today, people are pushing back from the limits of shame, where women are, and men are dressing more and more revealing, and society saying it's okay, and there's no shame. I mean, half of everything hanging out, showing everything. Listen, there should be shame there. It's okay. All right? Since sin has entered into the picture, shame is good in some cases. I know Pastor preached a long sermon on, uh, uh, on all these, and, and yeah, we shouldn't, that, that shame is bad, it's, it's hurting, it's, 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 it's hurting us, it's destroying us. 
But shame in this way is good. We should cover up, right? Because what? When you get up and you put on your clothes in the morning, who are you representing? Christ. That's right. You're representing Christ. It's not all about, well, you know, I, I'm, I need to you know, find myself. You know, find yourself in the word of God. You know, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God so much. And there's many scholar, much scholarly talk about why the, 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 the early church and, and the, um, the preaching of the early church, the kerygma, that they didn't talk about the kingdom of God as much. They talked about the lordship of Jesus. It's the same thing. To accept Jesus' Lord means that you're his doulas. We translate it bond slur, bond slave, but technically the word just means slave. We don't like using that word in this society, do we? Because of our past. But doulas, it just means slave. You're, you're God's slave. But you know what? God is a loving father. You're also a son if you're a Christian. Okay, let's move on because I'm running out of time. So, Humans, when humans erected, uh, rejected God's authority to establish their own, they wanted to be like God in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. And from this point, humanity devolved into a total rejection of Yahweh's lordship. As Romans verse, chapter 1, verse 18 says, that they suppressed the truth of God by their unrighteousness. Because we're unrighteousness, we push back, we suppress God's truth to make us feel good. It's really easy for us to say that certain things are not the way they are or you're misinterpreting things that makes us feel good. Listen, I have people that I know who are homosexuals. I treat them with the kindness of anybody else because I also have people who are, you know, shacking up and people who are committing adultery. I know people who are doing all those things. But you treat people with dignity and respect. But we are not to celebrate things that go against God. We're not to celebrate. We're, we can celebrate them as humans, but we're not to celebrate anything that goes against God. Okay? Now, if anything happened to one of my children, just hypothetically, came home and said, I'm gay, guess what? I will love you. I'll support you as a human being. I'll continue to share Christ with you. And, but... There's no way that you can celebrate. I'm not, they decide to get married to another person of the same gender. Uh, me personally, I can't celebrate that because I don't think that's a wedding. It's not a marriage in God's sight, okay? But it doesn't mean that I love them any less, okay? But God has to be one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's a worldview thing. You can't say bits or pieces. I've heard pastors get up and say, you know, my brother, he, I'm not making fun of anybody, but he was crying. He said, my brother, he, 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 he's homosexual. And who am I to say he can't be happy? And who am I to say, guess what? I'm nobody, but God is somebody. And he created things a certain way. That's the whole point that I'm saying. So, we can never celebrate fatherhood as long as we are not celebrating the father that God created and not standing up for that. Okay, I'm going I'm, to... I'm. So we're suppressing God's truth by the unrighteousness. 
We exchange the truth of God for a lie, worship and serve the creature rather than the creator in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. We give ultimate value to temporal things and we create a God in our own image that's not a real God at all rather than accepting God for who he is. Now we live in a world where their sinful cultural norms have become widely accepted by those who profess to make the Bible their standard. So many people in churches today that will not talk about sin because they're afraid of losing tithes, they're afraid of offending anybody, but you know what? I would rather offend everybody and keep God's <laughs> praise. It's not my job to change the gospel. A lot of people don't want to talk about sin because they say, oh, people are beat down. Jesus talked about sin. Jesus talked about hell. To me, anybody who says that, that's a certain type of pride. Oh, but he's sweet. Pride and sin to say that you're better than Jesus, basically. That's basically what he's saying. I'm not saying any names, but some of you know who I may be referring to. But the thing is, when you sit there and say you don't, you don't, you know, say anybody's going to hell or you, you don't, you know, talk about sin hardly or anything like that, you know, you're throwing it in God's face because Jesus did all that. How many times is Christian used in the Bible? Anybody want to know? Three times. How many times is follower of Christ used in the Bible? A lot. We should be followers of Christ. Not Christians in the way the world defines the word today. I'm still a Christian. But when people call themselves a Christian, they just, well, I was born a Christian nation. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not finishing. So we live in a world where sinful cultural norms have become widely accepted. And those who profess the Bible as their standard, they're doing it. Ezekiel chapter 9 verse 4, when, when God was going to judge Jerusalem, he told an angel to go in and to mark on the forehead, kind of like the same thing in chapter 7 of Revelation, to hurt not the earth to see it until I, you know, mark the number of the servants of God on the forehead. Same thing in Ezekiel chapter 9. But he said, mark those on the forehead who sigh and groan over the abominations that are committed in Jerusalem. Right? Are Christians sighing and groaning over sin today? Is the sin of the world vexing your righteous soul? Or are you joining in it and calling yourself a Christian? My son is calling me right now. I'll call him back. Okay. The Bible talks about in Romans chapter 1, verse 32, not only who those who do certain things, you know, know that these people do these things worthy of death, but they approve of those who do them. Okay, takeaways based on the study. God made the, all things in six days according to an orderly pas, uh, pattern. It was all good. Disorder or chaos entered the creation when sin entered. And the more we follow sinful patterns, the more disorder comes in our lives. That's what my whole book is about. That's the premise. You follow sinful patterns, disorder follows. We think we know what we want. You know, we really think we want what we want. We want this guy, we want this girl. We, we think that this person's our soulmate, so we're going to leave this person and go with this person. We're going to do this, we're going to do that, because we're searching for happiness rather than trying to find the will of God. Let me tell you something. I've been married for 32 years. The way you stay married is because you choose to, not because you don't have a reason to leave. 
I love my wife. Trust me, I do. I love her. We have a beautiful, great relationship. I'm not one of those guys who don't love his wife. I like going home to my family. But I'm telling you, you still have issues, and you have to choose to stay together. You have to choose that. And there's sometimes there's things that go beyond your control. You know, God has grace for that. He does. God has grace for that. So following God's truths bring order. Following sin brings chaos. Secondly, male and female genders were created by God for complementary purposes. Hence, we should socialize boys to be boys and girls to be girls and submit to God's plan for gender. Realize this. Yes, you're, you're made with the same, with different anatomical parts, so male and female. But there's also things that are within the body. That testosterone starts forming that little boy into a risk taker, into being all that little boys are. where They're jumping off garages for no reason and trees. And, you know, why do they do that? Because they're boys, you know? So, and girls, it, it, it forms them into being feminine. You know, it's interesting. Humans, women, in the animal kingdom, the males are the beautiful ones. and the human, the females are the ones. When I, was, when I was a regular police officer, I tried to get in the car after females because their cars smell good. They, I mean, they smell like perfume. and Men, they smell bad. <laughs> I'm telling you, it is. So... God, God has a plan for gender. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5, the Bible says, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is abomination to Yahweh your God. Now, now understand something. When the Bible talks about things in, in, in Leviticus chapter 18, Leviticus chapter 19, and he starts talking about, a lot of times they say, well, that's Old Testament. God has not changed. The covenants have changed, but God hasn't changed. What was abomination to God in the Old Testament? Abomination to God now. So when, when he talks about Israel saying, if you do these things, this is the reason why the land is spitting out the inhabitants there. They weren't under a covenant from God. But the land was spitting them out because they were doing certain things. Listen, God made gender. He expects for boys to be socialized to boys and girls to be socialized to girls. Now, like I said, the natural things for gender God gave you. When men grow up, they become stronger. They get a deeper voice. They grow hair. Women grow up, they become more feminine. We'll just leave it at that. God is good, right? So, I mean, but, but, we just, but, but the whole point about it is this. You still have to socialize people into what is appropriate in various cultures. That's necessary. So it's important for so, so boys to see good models of fathers and girls to be, see good models of mothers and for girls to see good models of what they're going to want in their husband and boys to see good models in their mother and what they're going to want in their wife. Okay? So gender is a gift given by God for the proper working of society. Neither one is better than the other. They are complementary. Fathers should be cognizant on how they model relationships with their wives, and mothers likewise. Strong marriages, number three, are the foundation of strong societies and give children the best opportunity to flourish in life. The first institution God created was marriage. Why? Because that's the foundation of every society. Strong marriages make for strong families, which makes for strong societies, which makes for strong cities, strong states. God gave those things. God told the couple to build culture under his authority, right? 
So that's what we should be doing. But today we're building culture under the authority of the devil. The Bible says the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. Calls him the God of this world who's blinded the minds of those who believe not. And we're following Satan's deception. Accepting the definitions that the world puts on things rather than following the definitions that God puts on things. Fourthly, fathers are to exercise their headship in the family in a strong but compassionate servant leadership and wives should practice submission to their husbands in respectful manner one flesh husbands tell god told husbands to love their wives as christ loved the church we don't go i listen i submission is a word that she has to do I, it's not something forced when bible tells children to obey guess what i can force children to obey right i believe in spanking children when my son was 17 i broke a paddle on him okay and I am a police officer, right? 18, you can't do that anymore. But the thing is, because he becomes an adult in society. But up to 17, listen, and I didn't whoop him all the time, but it was something I did. But I was strong on discipline. If I said I was going to do something, I followed through with it, and that's the way it was. My children know that. That if I say it's going to be done, that's the way it's going to be done. Okay? So we need to make sure we follow through on what we do and I don't know why I was talking about that. Oh, exercise. The Bible tells you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself for it. So it's important for us to show that servant leadership. If she doesn't act right, that doesn't give you a reason to act up. Why? Because we're not acting right and Christ isn't acting up. So it's more difficult for you as a husband to show that godly manship, that leadership that you are supposed to have. Be the man. And I don't mean by standing up and just saying, well, I'm the man. You should respect my authority. No. You, you are to be the man and follow Christ and love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Right? Okay. So, this type of Christ-church relationship is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 28. This relationship depicts order rather than male superiority. Both are made in the image of God. But women are to submit to their, their husbands. Now, that doesn't mean that, you, you know, my wife does many things better than I do. I'd be a fool to say, well, I'm going to do everything. I just don't have time to do everything. She pays all the bills. A lot of men say, well, I have to pay all the bills because I'm the man. Guess what? I'm home to sleep at night. That's about it sometimes. <laughs> That's it. My life is busy. It's one of the reasons I stopped pastoring because I'm just, I'm, I can't give everything to it right now. I'm really, really busy. And it's going to be for a short period of time, but, but as you can probably see the way, by the way to preach, I'm not, I'm not probably, you know, the pastor type, you know, more of a in your face, you know. I'm being nice today, I'm telling you. So... <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying. So, so maybe that's maybe that may not be my gift. But I'm not to say I wouldn't do it again. But you know, hey. But um, but it it, it 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 depicts order, and it's important to have that order, and it's important for 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 the children to see that worked out in in that situation. So the orderly familial relationship must be lived out or held up as the norm. That's one of the things we need to do. We need to, we need to stop saying that, oh, God has several different types of families. No, this is God's norm. Everything else, yeah, we live in a world of sin, so we have to live as close as possible to God's standard, even when we're living outside of God's norm. 
Proper love and respect must be given. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32 and 33, he says, the mystery is profound. I'm saying it speaks, it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love your wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul said, hey, look, nobody's ever hated his own flesh, but you loved it and you cherished it and you took care of it. No man should treat his wife as though she is something outside of him. My wife is an extension of me. And, and my children, we learned a long time ago not to let them play against one another. We are one, right? That's the way it should be. Fathers and mothers are to raise their children to fear the Lord. Lastly, I have two final questions after that, so it's not the last, last thing, but it's almost the last thing. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9, where it talks about, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now understand, the word Shema, hear there, it means obey. In the Hebrew understanding, just like we talked about Amuna, which is... Which is um, uh, faith or trust, it, it means faithfulness rather than just a, a head belief. When you say hear, it also means obey. So it's like the parent who says, you know, do you hear me? Okay? Basically, they're saying, are you going to obey what I, I tell you to do? So many words like that are used in Hebrew, and you have to realize that. So it's not just something where God does not expect action. So he says, here is the Lord your God, the Lord is one. So you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And the things that I command you today shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So we're to pass these things down. It is not the government's job to raise your children or to treat, teach your children. It's your job. I'm not saying everybody needs to homeschool. Now, we homeschool our daughter. But I don't say everybody needs to do that. One of the reasons I did that is because I, I want her worldview to be biblical. And, it's, and, it's, and, and we're still fighting because of social media, right? It's there. But I want her to have a biblical worldview. Do you know that when the government spends on education, there's more atheism in those areas? Yeah, that's a fact. Okay? So we're to talk about those things. We're to teach them to our children. Okay, two final questions. Can a person be a good father even if he's not married to the mother? Yes. Although it's not ideal, you know, we need to hold as close as possible to those things as possible. We need to hold as close as possible. So a, a father who's not in the same household needs to be in that child's life as much as possible. All right? Still need to raise the child. A person needs his or her father. And secondly, what about children who have no father involved in his or her life? Well, I have a, a 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3 through 8. It talks about destitute widows. Now, back in the early church, there were two, people, two types of people who were destitute, widows and orphans. Widows and orphans were extremely destitute. They had nobody. Matter of fact, the Roman Empire used to kind of put children out, especially if they were women, exposure, just leave them out there to die. Christians would take them and, 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 and make orphanages, but they would just leave them out there to die. That's, and that was okay. It was okay for them to do that. That was their, their philosophy. But so, so when talking about widows here, you got to understand this, these are people who are truly destitute, but Paul was saying, hey, honor widows who are truly widows. In other words, those who have nobody else, nobody to take care of them, the church should assist in that. So they had an order of widows there. But a widow, if she has children or grandchildren, let them first loan to show godliness to their own household and make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing to the sight of God. So what they're saying there is if a widow have children or grandchildren, they should take that widow in. And take care of that widow rather than allow the church to be burdened. Let the church deal with those who have nobody. 
but family members who are Christians should take care of their family members. It's important to do that. So if you have an uncle, if you have an aunt, though you may not have a father, it needs to be taken care of that way. You need to take that child with you and raise that child so they can have that mentor in his or her life. It's important to do that. Then he goes on. She who is truly a riddle is left alone and set her hope in God, continues in supplication and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even when she lives. So command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. Anyone who does not provide for his relatives, especially for the members of his household, has denied the faith and the worst of unbelievers. So that's your relative, right? If you have a relative that needs a mentor, be that mentor. If you don't, if there's nobody there, get the church involved. That's what we're here for, right? All right. So this is, this is the understanding, and I've gone over again. Sorry, Pastor. I, I said I was sorry in the first service. I'm saying it now. But, but just realize this. This is very important because Satan is attacking us at a worldview level. Do you understand that? I mean, this is a battle. Uh, we, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rules of darkness of this age, and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Our fight is against spiritual things. And Satan is attacking us. He's attacking our mindset. He's attacking us how we do things. Our children are being pulled into and sucked into these things. And we're just going about life as if it doesn't matter, as if it doesn't care. But we need to start caring. Listen, the Bible tells you in Romans chapter 12, it says to, chapter 12, verse 2, stop allowing yourselves to be conformed to the pattern of this world. Okay, that is a command in Greek. Stop allowing yourself, and it's passive. So something is acting upon you from the outside. Stop allowing yourselves to be conformed to the pattern of this world. As the matter of something, it says, but, uh, boy, I'm just, my mind is somewhere else. Stop. But be transformed. So be being transformed. It is, it is not only passive, but it is present continuous. Allow yourselves to be transformed by renewing of your mind. That way you can prove what God's will is. His, 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 his perfect, his good, his acceptable will. So only when we, we, it has to be something that we choose to do. So don't allow Satan to get in your family and cause havoc. Make sure that they have a biblical worldview. That's what we as men need to do. Stand up and reclaim our families. And for those who don't have families, who don't have a man, we need to stand up and reclaim our children in our churches because this should be a second family, right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you, God. Do a mighty work in our hearts and our minds. God, Change us from inside out. Help us to realize that the fight is on the worldview level, God, that, that Satan is trying to make us think about things differently than the way that you created them. God, you are all-powerful, God. You have all wisdom. God, you, you know all things. And God, all of your commands were given for our good. I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you would help us to submit ourselves to you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, you love us. You've loved us with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, you draw us. God, help us to see that. 
Help us to trust in you with all of our heart. Lean not to our own understanding, but in all our ways, help us acknowledge you. That you will direct our paths. God, help us not to be wise in our own eyes, but help us to fear you and shun evil. When we fear you, God, we will turn from our evil ways. In Jesus' name we pray.